I turned it off. Good evening, everyone. All right, uh, we're going to start with our message tonight. Uh, children, you are dismissed to your classrooms along with their Sunday school teachers. Um, Mikey or Dustin, can you give me the... I forgot my clicker. Um, we're going to be discussing, we're going to be talking about the resurrected life uh, from John 11. I know Resurrection Sunday was yesterday, um, and um, I wanted to follow up on that message tonight before we go back to our book of Ephesians. Um, did anybody set up a, a church camping or something that we weren't invited in? <laughs> seems, like, seems like everybody skipped it. Almost everybody skipped today. Thank you. Um, so I entitled our message as Resurrected Life. Um, New Testament scholar Don Carson tells of a teenage boy who was dying of cancer. Um, every day he had to read, he had someone read John 11 to him. The story of Lazarus who rose from the dead and Paul's detailed statement about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. His confident hope of victory over sin and death was based on Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. Now, not everyone holds that view. You know, back in 2008, some of you probably weren't born then, the show The Mentalist uh, has the main character, um, very secular. Um, he considered, the main character there, considered that death as final and the end of one's existence in any form. He was a true believer of that view, because his wife had been murdered and he held no hope of seeing her again. Now the character there is, uh, his name is Patrick Jane, was drawn to a detective who was a woman of faith, Teresa Lisbon. You knew that she was uh, a woman of faith because she openly wore a cross necklace. Now she too believed death was a reality because every week someone died. But for her, it was not the end of existence. Sin and death would be defeated in the future because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, occasionally, episodes would con contrast these two worldviews. And um, I don't know if about you, but I'm never satisfied about the way Hollywood handles our viewpoint. Now, there's a show uh, that started in 2020, the show Upload. Uh, apparently, in 2033... Humans can upload, quote-unquote, uh, themselves into a virtual afterlife of their choosing. So if you have money, according to this show, uh, lots of money, you can upload your dead self, your mental state, to Lakeview, which is like a country club resort. With, um, and you can exist as healthy as you want, as young as you want, eat whatever you want to be. Uh, eat whatever you want to eat and be whoever you want to be so long as you have the money to spend on the gigabytes that needs it. Now, if you're poor, you only get two gigabytes a day, which means you can't do much. You can't move much. And you look, <laughs> the place that you're staying in looks like a prison cell. So that's another point of view. Anything else but what the Bible says is what they're trying to propagate and want to instill in people's mindset. 
Now, this is not an insignificant topic. Every culture has some explanation for what happens to people after this life. It reveals our need of hope beyond the grave. We are aware that there are other views of life after death that have based their hope on people's own goodness rather than the grace of God. Now, Islam teaches a future paradise for martyrs of their cause. So if they kill a bunch of infidels or unbelievers of um, Islam, they will go to heaven and have seven virgins for eternity. Hinduism teaches the purifying of the soul through a million reincarnations until they get it right. And then they'll get a future nirvana. Um, now as Christians, our confident hope of victory over death is based on Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen? Now, John 11, I know we talked about the resurrection last week, but John 11 includes perhaps the most significant claim Jesus made about himself. John's gospels, gospel records seven, quote-unquote, I am statements by Jesus. These are declarations of his deity. In John 11, Jesus declares that he is the resurrection and the life. He claims that you can have a sure hope in the face of death because he conquers death and gives people eternal life. No other leader of any major religion makes such a claim. Jesus receives news of Lazarus' illness and then he delays two days before proposing to go to Judea. The disciples are amazed that he would go back to Jerusalem because there are, are people there that were trying to kill him. Now we learn the reason Jesus delayed returning is so he could do a work that would clearly glorify God and strengthen the faith of his disciples. So tonight we have three points. Uh, first point is a guaranteed hope. Because of the resurrected life of Jesus, we have a guaranteed hope. We have a transformed life, and we have a supernatural belief. Amen? Amen? That will be our message. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the songs that you've given to us. We thank you for this building that you provided for us. We thank you for this church body that you have made us to be a part of. Father, we are grateful to you about many things, and um, minutes cannot accumulate, Father. It will not be enough for us to to be able to enumerate them to you. You constantly give us blessings even when we don't deserve them, Lord. And tonight, Father, you've given us again the privilege and the blessing to learn more about you, your ways, and your will for us. We pray right now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us. Open our hearts and our minds. Father, you are the true teacher. Teach us your truth. And guide us, Lord God, to whatever it is that you want us to learn and accept about you. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins and hear our prayers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what happens, right? I mean, look at the empty seats. After a big resurrection Sunday, everybody goes back to business, right? <laughs> right? There's, there are Christians. This is sad, right? Now, Sundays, we try to preach the gospel always for the unbelievers that visits us. But we don't always preach the gospel because church on a Sunday to Sunday basis is 
mostly and biblically for the believers, to mature the believer. Now, if you are the believer that only comes on holidays, New Year, Easter, Christmas, right? There's really not going to be enough feeding for your soul, and you're not going to be able to pull enough from the scriptures in order for you to battle through life. Do you agree? I mean, if you're only going to eat three times in a year, what do you think is going to happen to you? Nobody. That's a silly, silly point, right? But that's kind of how we approach our spiritual life. So I, I, I commend all of you who made it again tonight after last week, after because we don't really grow on a big celebration, right? You don't grow in a big service. You don't grow just on one. You grow on a day-to-day basis on as much as you learn about Jesus. Amen? Through your reading every day, through your prayer life every day, and then through your, through your messages that you listen to other than your podcast, and through you belonging to a church, because in a church body, that's where you belong, and that's how you're going to grow. That's where friction is going to happen. That's where your patience is going to be tested. That's when your kindness is going to be tested, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is why we're here again. So this is a follow-up. So, okay, we know of a resurrected Jesus. So what do we do with the resurrected, resurrected Jesus? First is we know that we have a guaranteed hope. This is John eleven seventeen to 24. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard about that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now here's the biblical explanation of what we just read. The fact that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days probably means that he died the day the message was sent to Jesus. Since the Jews didn't embalm the body, they just masked the smell of death with spices. They buried the body on the day of death. There was a day to deliver the message to Jesus, the two days of delay, and then the day of traveling to Bethany could have covered about four days. Now, some biblical scholars propose that the reason John included the detail was that it was discovered that some Jewish sources taught, taught that the soul of the deceased hovered over the body for three days hoping to re-enter the body. Now, after three days, the soul gave up and departed. It's like, oh, it's not happening. Might as well go. We don't know if that would have been the thought in Mary and Martha's mind. But the fact that Jesus acted on the fourth day would have eliminated the possibility that Jesus had nothing to do with Lazarus' restoration of life. Amen? That's one reason why it took God four days. The other reason there too, as for us to apply it to ourselves is, 
God will act on His time, not on our time. Amen? If we're praying for our family and friends to be saved, as long as we're sharing to them, as long as we're living our lives according to God's will, they will be saved when God says so. Amen? In God's time. When we're praying for healing, we're praying for help or rescue from God about a relationship that's been broken, and we're praying to God for help, it will probably happen during and when, and only when in God's time. Amen? Now, on the fourth day of death, the body begins to show signs of decomposition. Decomposition. Gases begin to emit to be emitted. This is why Martha resists Jesus' suggestion of rolling back the stone. And when she says, Lord, it stinketh, right? The Jews had 30 days of mourning for the death of a loved one. It is very intensive for people to come and comfort the family in the first It's very insensitive for people to come and comfort the family in the first week. This would ensure that a large crowd would be present on the following week. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. This ensured a large crowd. There are going to be many, many witnesses that Lazarus was dead and Jesus raised him back to life. Why? Because in the verses before uh, the ones we read, Jesus said this death, will not come to death. Because of this, God will be glorified. Now Martha, typical of her activist personality, runs to meet Jesus when she hears he has arrived. Someone has to play host for the many people that came to visit, so Mary sat there where she was. Some have taken Martha's words as scolding Jesus when she said, Lord, if you were here, my brother would have not died. Some people, some scholars were arguing about that or suggesting that. Jesus tells her that her brother is going to live again. She understands this to mean in the future. Now we do the same thing. One day, uh, we say to the grieving family members when, when, their, when, their, family, when their loved one dies, right? We, what do we say when we comfort them and we know they're Christians and the person who died is a Christian? We say, you will see them again. Right? You will see them again. Because we know as Christians, we know that we never really die. Amen? We pass by from this earth, we leave this tent, and we be with God the moment that we breathe our last breath here. Now, here's the practical application of what we read. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we have a sure hope that one day we are going to get our family back. Amen? Now, I don't know. We can't say that heartily or meaningfully. or we don't, we don't even appreciate it one second if we haven't lost a loved one. But if we have, this truth matters so much to us. The fact that we have lost someone, and we know, now Analu loves to watch these crime shows, you know, and what's heartbreaking is when the parents give their testimonies about their, the last one she was watching last night was the mom of a murdered daughter, and she goes, the worst thing is, when I heard the news, the thought of me never seeing my daughter again changed my world. 
Now that's heartbreaking, isn't it? That's heartbreaking. And then the father says, the father was a doctor, and he goes, my world was never the same after I've lost my, my daughter. Now, loved ones, if you lose someone that you truly love, your laughter in the absence of your loved one is no longer the same. Right? Do you agree? For those of us who left the Philippines, we left our friends there. You know, we say the same jokes here with other friends, our new friends. When they laugh, it seems like it's not the same. It's the same joke you said, and they laugh, you're like, I don't know, it doesn't hit the same. It's the same thing. Our lives change when we lose someone. Now, why am I sharing this? Because of the truth of the resurrection, because Jesus is true, because everything He said to us, number one thing is when He said, I am preparing a place for you. Where I am going, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have not said it, right? The moment we leave here, we will be with our loved ones who left before us. Isn't that a big comfort? Now, deep down, I really want the resurrection to be true. Because we instinctively cry out against the power of death over our lives. Now, in, you know, in Egypt, the pharaohs there, they built pyramids and stashed them full of jewels and wealth and servants. I'm pretty sure you all know that, right? When, when the pharaoh dies, his servants will be, even if they were living, they will watch and they will die there with him. But they will lock it, the, the dead in, in, in a pyramid. The, their, their, but their, their faith is to no avail. Today, it takes the form of extreme makeover shows and keeping our bodies alive to the last nanosecond. You know, those young, keep yourself young pills or stretch this and stretch that and injection here, injection there. It's because we're trying to preserve um, our bodies with embalming fluids. We, res we resist and we resent death to the last word. But above all, we all want the resurrection to be sure, to be a sure hope because we want our friends and family back. Now, I don't want to be eternally separated from my wife. I really don't. This is a thought. I, I mean, I always talk about it. If I die, I, I coach her. I tell her, this is what you're going to do. You know, try not to fall in love with a younger guy. Cause <laughs> but you know what? I'll be dead. Who cares? But then, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, am I going to be eternally separated? And then she tells me, and then she comes back, she goes, what if I die? You know, you know and then, and then I, I think about it. And when, when, whenever she goes to the Philippines for 30 days, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not a good feeling. Imagine until you die, you're separated. And, and, and the fact that res the resurrection tells us there's a hope, there's a good hope, a guaranteed hope that when we pass, when everybody pass, we're finally going to be with everybody that has left this life. Our children, I don't want to be separate from my children, my siblings, my niece, my, my nephews, my in-laws, my friends, my church family. I know you want to be separate from me, but I don't. <laughs> our sure hope, you know, our sure hope is based on the confidence that Jesus gained victory over death. Because He is the resurrection and the life. Amen? 
There is so much truth in that. And that's a guarantee. Now, I know this topic is viewed as being morbid. We talk about death and dying to a culture that does everything to hide its reality. Do we agree? Now, I wonder, do they want us not to talk about it? Them not wanting us to talk about it, are, they, are we the ones being realistic or is it them who's being realistic? Because when you talk about the topic of life and death, they're like, oh, you're, you're so negative. We're trying to have dinner here. <laughs> you know, but then it only took, it only took in 2020, it only took COVID-19 to reveal to everyone whatever they were denying, the fear of dying. Do we agree? You know, the sad truth is, it will come to all of us. Did you know that, according, I don't, this is CDC, so I really don't know how dependable they are, but I have nothing else. According to the CDC stats, 7,969 Americans, actually 0.7 Americans, die per day. They died per day back in 2021. So, at this moment, someone will not, today was their last sunrise, and today was their last sunset. It happens. It will come to everyone. Now, in every case in the New Testament where Jesus raised a dead person, Jesus gave them back to their family. In Luke 7, Jesus stops at a funeral procession and tells the dead boy to get up. The dead boy did what the dead boys don't do. He sat up and began to talk. His widowed mother got her son back because Jesus is victorious over death. Jairus, the religious leader, got his daughter back from the dead in Luke 8. Jesus is assuring Martha in, in what we're studying in John 11, though she doesn't know it yet that she is going to get her brother Lazarus back. You can be sure that what Jesus did for Martha and Mary, He will do for you. He made sure of that on that Easter morning. Amen? That is why Resurrection Sunday is important. That is why it's so special for us Christians. Amen? If this is not sinking in, maybe we need another Sunday. I'm what Jesus says in response to Martha's belief in the general resurrection must have stunned her. She's standing, the, she's standing the physical death of her brother. Jesus says to her that she is standing in the presence of life, everlasting life. The confident hope we have of victory over death is because Jesus gives us new life. Now, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now, there is hope that if we die or our loved ones die, we will be with them again in paradise. Correct? Now, the next guarantee, the next result of a resurrected life is a transformed life. It's a transformed life. Now, Jamie, while I was preparing today, was sending me, she does this all the time, sending me ugly pictures of me when we were younger. <laughs> And she makes sure she sends me the ugliest ones, you know? So I almost said, hey, let's put it on the screen tonight. 
But then I'm like, I don't want to make it about myself. <laughs> but but there, there is transformation. We all know of our transformation when we were young until young now, right? <laughs> when we were young then and now young now. There's a transformation. There's physical transformation, correct? Whether we like it or not. But in our spiritual life too, because of the resurrected life and us accepting Jesus as our Lord, we should expect a transformed life, a new life. Now this is John 11, 25 to 26. Jesus said to her, to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. No one had ever, no, no one ever had spoken of resurrection in this manner. Only Jesus. No one ever had said the resurrection was a person. Resurrection traditionally was just an event to happen out in the future that God would accomplish. Resurrection tied to a person was a radical and a never thought of until Jesus said it. Jesus declares, I and I alone through my personal power will cause the resurrection to happen. The one that believes in me, even if he dies, before the great resurrection event, will come to life and never die. The translation attempts to help us English readers understand that the strength in which Jesus said this. It is a double negative. We will never, ever die. Jesus is not saying that he will bring about the resurrection or that he will be the cause of the resurrection. But both are true. Both, both, but something much, much stronger your resurrection from the dead and your eternal life in fellowship with God is so closely tied to Jesus that they can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. Repeatedly, the Bible proclaims that those who believe in Jesus will immediately possess eternal life. John 8:51. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Isn't that amazing? We accept Jesus and we will never see death. Because you know why? You know why we fear death? Because we were never created to die in the first place. But because of sin, death came. Now the practical application of what we just read, this mortal life is going to decline and die. But the life Jesus gives will never die. Death brings an end to everything in this life. But the life Jesus gives us continues. Death blots out everything in this life. But the life Jesus gives is so great that the death releases us to a life of a reward and eternal joy. Also, the point is that this eternal life can be experienced right now. Some of us are probably thinking, okay, eternal life is later, so I'll live for Jesus later. No, we can experience eternal life right now. You don't have to wait until after death to enter into the eternal life with Jesus. Now, there's this author named Frederick Boschner. He's a theologian, too, and also a preacher. He once wrote that every age has produced fairy tales. You agree? Every generation has a fairy tale. Something inside us believes or wants to believe that the world as we know it is not the whole story. 
We hope that death is not the end, that the universe is something more than an enclosed globe. So we keep spinning and repeating stories that hold the promise of another world. A common feature of fairy tales is that uh, the enchanted world is not far away. You step into a wardrobe, and then you are in Narnia. You walk through a forest and stumble on a cottage with seven dwarfs, right? This world turns out to be far closer than you thought. Furthermore, fairy tales are not just stories about transformation of the world around us. They are usually about the transformation of the central characters. Frogs becoming prince, right? You just kiss, kiss from a princess. Ugly ducklings becoming swans. No, wooden marionettes becoming real boys. Boschner says that these are features that the gospel has in common with fairy tales, with this one great difference. Fairy tales are, are, are made up, but the gospel is true. Jesus stands before Martha and says that this is not all there in this life. The eternal life that Jesus offers is closer than you think. You can live it now. This is the promise of transformation. It doesn't wait until heaven. Your guilt and your inadequacies are no longer the greatest power or testimony about your life. It's now Jesus in your life. Amen? Now, I tried to bring in Gianna in this illustration, but... When she was growing up, she really didn't like superhero movies. She was more about playing doll and having tea. Well, Alonzo, when he was growing up, he loved superhero movies. So there were many that he loved. That um, his, the, his favorite one was Spider-Man. The Tobey Maguire one. For the young ones, it's the f first Spider-Man that came out. <laughs> Now, this ordinary nerd was instantly changed or transformed after getting bit by a spider that was developed in a lab that gave him superpowers. His life was never the same, and for the people that he cared about. Now, whenever I see my children watch these kind of movies, it makes me compare them when I was in their age. Now, when I was growing up, I could only watch TV in my cousin's house because we really didn't have a TV until 1988, I think. <laughs> we, I, I'd go to my cousin's house, and they would open this drawer, and comes the color TV. Now, we have this one superhero there that he would transform after eating a spinach, can of spinach. Yeah, he has a funny laugh and a speech impediment. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And then he gets beat up all the time by Brutus. But then after he eats that spinach, for some reason, he will beat every bad guy around. He would be transformed and he will be changed. Now, I think that is what Jesus means when he speaks of new life. The new life gives us new desires. We want to love God. After you accepted Christ, you want to love God. We want to learn about Jesus, and we want to live for Jesus. We don't just try to be the right kind of person. We become a godly person. Now in Romans 6.4, it reads, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, 
by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see that? I think we have forgotten that part. We accept the grace, and it was never about us. It was never about us. But we forget and we neglect that there is newness that comes with us accepting Jesus as our Lord. But I think because we have forgotten to crucify our old self with Jesus Christ, which is in the next verses here. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So, church, have you crucified your old self with Christ on the cross? If you are having the struggle of your old nature to your new nature, it just means one thing. You have not crucified your old sinful self with, with Jesus. Why, would, why in the world would we want to continue to commit the sin that brought Jesus to that cross in the first place? Newness of life comes when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It didn't save us because us doing good things is not saving us. It's us accepting Jesus. But after we accept Jesus, there's newness. There's a transformation. That's the fruit. We have been given the free will. You know that? We have been given the free will to either live for Him or not after we accept Jesus. The problem is, at times, we choose to not live for Christ. I don't know why, but whenever I talk to people uh, that knew me in the past, and I'll tell them about how my life is right now, maybe it's my script, maybe it's what I say, but they always say, it seems like there's something missing in your life. And I go, what? I was trying to preach to you in my mind, right? Like, no. I was trying to convert you with what I said. No, it sounds like there's something missing. I go, what do you mean there's something missing? I mean, you said you're living a life for Christ and everything that you do is for Him. And I go, oh, did you mean that I'm no longer partying and I'm not just satisfying my, myself? Yeah, because don't we just live once? I go, yeah, you're right. We only live once, but... Because I live for Christ, I have to deny a lot about myself. So if that is what's missing, then yeah, that's what's missing. Because I no longer live for me. Now, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, all of that doesn't make sense. The first part is you must realize first that you need a Savior. Why do you need a Savior? Because you're in trouble. Because you are a sinner and you will experience eternal death after this life. But if you have accepted Christ, yet you're still not living for Him, the question is, why do you keep crucifying Jesus with that sin that you're not wanting to give up? Believer, crucify your old self with Jesus. Don't live for your carnal life. Live your new life that Christ has desired 
for you to live in the first place. That is why God created us, to glorify Him. Amen? That is why Christ saved us, because He loved us and He wants us to now glorify Him with our lives. Amen? Now I get it. The third point is this. The third point is a supernatural belief. Believing in a resurrected Christ is a supernatural belief. It does not make sense for the logical mind. How many people did you know or do you know that brought themselves back to life? If I tell you that if I die tomorrow and I'm going to bring myself back to life, you bet money on the casino that that will not happen. That's the only time you can bet in the casino. <laughs> because it will never happen. Right? It was only Jesus and Lazarus and that boy and Jairus' daughter. Everyone that Jesus said, be alive, come to me, get up, wake up. They were resurrected from the death. But you know what? If you accepted Jesus as your Lord, we have a resurrected life right here, right now. Amen? Because the old is gone, the new has come. It's a supernatural belief. So stop justifying it with your unbelieving friends. They will never understand it. You can try to explain it to them, and then when they start shaking their head, you know, oh, they just got the supernatural nod. <laughs> supernatural my head, SMH. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus said, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Jesus is not asking Martha if she believes in the doctrine of the resurrection. She's already said she believed that the resurrection would occur at the end of time. He, Jesus, is asking that she believed that He, Jesus, is the resurrection and that this truth can be appropriated right there, right then. Martha confesses that she believes Jesus is the one the Old Testament predicted to be the Savior of Israel when she said, you are the Messiah. Martha said Jesus was the Son of God. The term could mean a mere man or someone in a special relationship with God like the angels. But Martha, no doubt, means that Jesus has a relationship with God in a way that no one else has. The last phrase supports this interpretation. Jesus, this interpretation. Jesus has come from the outside of this world, from outside of this world into this world. Yes, Lord is stated in a verb tense that in indicates a firm and continuing commitment. It describes something that happened in the past and it continues into the present. Sometime in the past, Martha put her faith in Jesus and that is where it remained. Biblical belief has three parts. Knowledge, acceptance or agreement, and then action. To have saving belief, you must know some things. Martha knows Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God. She agrees or accepts that this is true. She has yielded her life to this reality by being an obedient follower of Jesus. For you to have a confident hope of victory over death, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh. Amen? For you to live a victorious life here and now, you must believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, 
that He has the power to have His life live out through you. You just have to be willing to have His life be lived through you. In Galatians 2.20 it reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now, me growing up um, in the Philippines, we moved so many times. I don't know if you can even remember our addresses, Jamie. We moved quite a bit in the Philippines. We never had a permanent address. But the last address that I had there, uh, me and Jamie, were, was 22C Lower Brookside, Baguio City, 2600. Um, then from there, we moved to 132 State Street in Reno, 89501. It's, it's happening now, but it was the ghetto before. <laughs> then when I got married, it got worse. Because uh, when uh, Alonzo, when we were living in Monterey, uh, uh, instead, 8031 Monterey Shores, Alonzo said, Dad, all my, fr- all my American friends have lived in their homes for 100 years. We have moved seven times in the past three years. And now we're living in, in Ashbury. And I have two work addresses. You know, if God delays the second coming, I will one day have an address that includes a row and a number for a gravestone. For you to locate my, if you want to put flowers there that I'm never going to appreciate, or a balloon, <laughs> that would be my address. Where is Joe? Okay, C3, row 5. <laughs> that will be where my name will be. You know, uh, John John is, is the, okay, here's, um, I want you guys to listen to uh, this is the taps. The first sound that you'll hear is the sound of taps. This is the universal signal that the day is over. No. That's the second one. That's the, that's the taps. You know, I remember this being played when Chuck Phillips' uh, memorial. Not all of us will have this played when we die because we didn't serve in the military. But if you want it in your service, I'll put it in there. And then, and, and then the next one is the, the Reveille. This is now the signal of a new day beginning. Gianna woke up to that sound earlier when I was trying to uh, look for it. Now, before his death, Winston Churchill actually became a follower of Jesus Christ. Did you know? And he made his own funeral arrangements. When they said, that, when they said the benediction, he had arranged for the bugler high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral to play taps, or his first one, signaling that the day is over. After he finished, there was a long pause, and then the bugler on the side, on the dome, played the reveille, the signal of a new day beginning. It was Churchill's ways of saying that while it was a good night here, it was a good morning for him there in heaven. 
Churchill believed his confident hope of victory over death was based on Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Christian, if you have Jesus, you have all that guaranteed for you too. If you have lost a loved one, you will see them again. Amen? And if you go first, we will see you again. And if I go first, <laughs> make sure, I'm going to have to make sure I get there. You know? But isn't that, isn't that an amazing truth? A soothing, a good glass of water for this dying world. Amen? Amen. I hope that this, this resurrected life of Jesus has given you peace and will continue to give you the hope that you need as you go through the challenges of life and that your supernatural belief will make you stand that you know that you can live the new life that Jesus wants you to live. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your patience. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your resurrection. The resurrection is true, Lord God, because you are true. You are God in the flesh that gave yourself for us on the cross to pay for our sins against you. Father, truly you are loving because you are motivated by love and that is all. We never deserve you. We never deserve you, Father. We are your unworthy servants that you constantly, constantly come for. That you're always seeking to have an intimate relationship with us. Father, forgive us for the times that we neglect you, our relationship with you. Forgive us for the times that we constantly give in to our carnality. Help us, Lord God, live for you. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord God, let your resurrected life live throughout our lives, Lord God, in order for us to glorify you and magnify you, and in order for us to bring other people to you, Lord God. All these things we ask in your Son's sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen.